Welcome to CMO Confidential, the podcast that takes you inside the drama, decisions, and choices that go with being the head of marketing. Hosted by five-time CMO, Mike Linton. Welcome marketers, advertisers, and those who love them to Chief Marketing Officer Confidential. CMO Confidential is a program that takes you inside the drama, the decisions, and the politics that go with being the head of marketing at any company in what is one of the most scrutinized jobs in the executive suite. I'm Mike Linton, the former Chief Marketing Officer of Best Buy, eBay, Farmers Insurance, and Ancestry.com here today with my guest, Margot Georgiatis. Today's topic, a CEO, board member, and former CMO provides a 360-degree perspective on marketing. Now, Margot started her career at McKinsey and went on to run marketing and the U.S. card business at Discover. She then went on to be the president of the Americas at Google, the CEO of Mattel and Ancestry, and is currently the co-founder and CEO of Monti Health and an investor in a number of startups. I hold. I, I hope I said that that name right. I could have pronounced Monti incorrectly. Uh, she's also a board member at multiple public and private companies, including McDonald's, App Lovin', Handshake, and Roe. Full disclosure, we have known each other for many years. Our paths have crossed many times, and she recruited me into Ancestry. Welcome, Margo. It's great to see you. That's great to be here, Mike. Thanks for including me. Absolutely. First question, Margo, tell us what you see. You have a great platform to see business from multiple perspectives. Tell us what you see as the biggest issues facing business today. Well, Mike, I can count on you <laughs> to ask me <laughs> big and broad questions as always. Uh, but there, you know, when I look at it across, you know, the landscape as a CEO, as a board member, you know, there really are, in my view, four big issues that everybody's focused on. I think you know, the first one is kind of managing volatility. Like it or not, you know, since COVID, we've been in a time of economic uncertainty, right? The risk of recession, inflation, higher cost of capital, the deglobalization. And that's, you know, also on top of the uncertainty that we face with social issues, climate change which is influencing a lot of businesses and supply chains or um, other challenges and political instability, especially when you're in broader global markets. And so um, that's forcing people to really think a lot more about scenario planning, right? We got tighter cash and cost management, staged investments, we're rethinking our supply chains, and how do we really manage all these stakeholder initiatives with all those pressures? So that's kind of number one. So when you think that's just number one on a list of four, uh, that in and of itself is a lot. I think the second big piece is technology change continues to accelerate, right? No one can stop talking about AI right. um, and how that applies to different companies or as we think about life as a marketer, right? There's huge opportunities for productivity, whether it's augmenting our workforce, eliminating tasks, or just really thinking about creativity in new ways. There's a lot of opportunity for that as well as disruptive new business models. And so I think that's very top of mind for people. I think third, you know, post-COVID, we are still figuring out how to um, maintain workforce engagement. How do we attract and retain talent um, in this, quote, new normal, you know, where we're balancing remote, hybrid, return to work, flexibility, compensation issues, and people really saying, hey, what's the purpose of work in my life? You know, and how do I bring that together? And then as marketers, you know, I think the fourth area is really how do we stay in step with our customers? preferences are changing fast, right? The interest in experiences versus goods, how people are thinking about value, 
privacy and personalization, which are really important to us as marketers, um, and also just the continued um, engagement fragmentation. There's just so many platforms and shifting so preferences amongst yeah. those. So, you know, in my view, those are the four things that I hear the most um, in the boardroom and as a CEO. So may you live in interesting times. It is surely an interesting time. And all, all of those four topics are, are pretty deep. I, I would like to drill down a little bit into two businesses that I know are really uh, important to you, health and tech. Um, can you just give us a little bit of how those industries, because health and tech are at the front of a lot of things right now. Give us a little like a little look inside there in terms of what you're seeing. And you, you laid out a nice big picture. Give us a little industry specificity on those two. Yeah, and health and tech, as you said, they are different. I mean, let me start with um, tech. I mean, they're both impacted by the same macro trends. Um, but I think as you dig under the surface, you know, I think a lot of people are really focused on the fact that outside of the big incumbents in tech, right, the reset um, in valuations has been pretty tough, right, for the rest really of the Really hard, really hard. And that is really forcing a lot of belt tightening, scrutinizing of which business models are truly, right, differentiated and scalable. Um, and we, you know, even th see things like layoffs for the first time in big tech, which really seemed unimaginable before. And I think that's really kind of got people thinking differently. When you take AI, you know, on the tech side, what's really interesting is with the more generalizable modeling, um, it takes a lot fewer people and less data to be able to scale and build capabilities. And so I think it's gonna be really interesting to see how things shake out amongst the big players. And do we see a next generation, right, of upstarts that's able to actually create some new fundamental capabilities because you no longer need 5,000 engineers, right? To be able, it's not the war of amassing a massive amount of people. It's actually much more about thinking differently about how you're actually gonna tackle some of these problems and just going really fast. So I think that makes it um, really exciting. On the other hand, the world that I live in on the innovation side, right? This huge valuation reset, you know, across tech, tech and health tech and biotech, is is shocking, right, for people. I think this whole era of growth at all costs, you know, it's over and capital access is and will remain much harder uh, for the next three clear, years. I, sorry, I just want to put in one, one thing for our listeners to be clear. There was a run-up in, in prices of tech and health companies that was pretty enormous for quite a while. And there was a massive reset, just, a, I guess it's a, a little over a year ago where everything came down to earth and and you're just seeing across uh tech and health in particular but a lot of other companies uh lost a lot of value all at once so that's what margo's talking about and and there's massive impacts on on both tech and health yeah and i think it's you know it's interesting because in that go if i think about the marketing side of it right there were a lot of marketers put in a position of do whatever you need to do chase the boss and all of a sudden, when you see these massively sharp valuation resets and capital access drying up, you have this massive shift in the, the overall company strategy, the market itself, right? And as we think about what is the role of a marketer in this reset world, and I think we see that across tech, health tech, and biotech. And I think you know that is going to lead, in my view, 
to a much better crop of companies that are far more disciplined in how they think about their value propositions and their growth models. But it's incredibly painful right now, you know, across those communities as we really find, in a sense, like the new normal at a business angle in terms of what are expectations? How do we think about what success is? What is good growth versus profitability? And I think we're coming and still trying to find our footing across a lot of these companies. And I think this is a, is a really super point. I want to make sure I'm getting it right, which is you're saying this reboot, it used to be just a, a sales line was all that mattered. The revenue line mattered and the profit line was going to follow the revenue line. With this massive reset, what happened is suddenly everyone said, holy crap, we're not making any money and we just can't keep doing this. And our stock price is not going to work anymore if we don't get profit. This creates a massive shift in what the market has to do because suddenly all growth is not equal and some growth is worth a lot more than others. But that puts a lot of pressure on the marketer to flip the switch. How are you seeing marketers do that in, in your companies? Because that switch, once it's turned on, you, you've got all your, all your ratios, all your CAC, everything else is get this at this cost. And suddenly you're going to have all those ratios, but people are not going to be that happy when the growth gets cut either. What, how are you, what, how are companies dealing with this from, because you see a lot of them and, and what advice would you give to our listeners on it? Yeah, I think what I would say is, you know, this is the moment when leaders lead. Um, and I think we've all talked about how marketing is where it's done its best as a CMO. You're really at the center of the strategy and you're really helping to define, you know, what is a great customer? What is a sustainable relationship model? And how does that really track through in terms of the health of the business over time? And so I think there's an enormous opportunity for marketers to be part of that vision setting. You know, we had this model before. It made sense when the market was rewarding us to try to be the market leader and demonstrate that we just had user growth um, and market share, but we weren't emphasizing profitability. In those reset expectations, what are the most important customers that we should be focused on? And also, especially in on the tech side, um, and to some extent, depending on the category and the consumer side, on the tech software side, where I spend a lot of time, you know, wallets are closed, right? Companies are really, really concerned about taking on any additional cost. So marketers are a huge um, part of the equation in terms of really helping to tell that ROI story. Um, in a super tight way with really great customer stories. And in B2B, that really helps people, right? I need to see another company that I can relate to where they are getting value from taking on this new approach. Um, and also, I think, refreshing the customer segmentation, right? Working with the sales team. How do you really think about the customers in this environment? Now, there always are pockets of growth, but how do you find those to find them and get to them as efficiently as possible? Um, I think the other big area of focus is really rethinking, um, especially in software, the entry pricing for new customers, right? And the proof points to help you more efficiently upsell and retain existing customers. Because when wallets are closed, how do you think differently about removing friction and aligning experience and value? And again, that always matters, right? In a software business or a consumer business. But now it really matters when when people are much more scrutinizing every dollar. 
it surely makes the RFP a lot harder when there's not as much money running around and there's not going to be as many winners. Talk, talk a little bit about health and marketing because there's and, and I, I it's probably good to paint a paint a picture for kind of there's so many different health segments. I don't want everybody just thinking, you know, Pfizer and Cleveland Clinic or Mayo Clinic right away. I want them thinking about the whole health landscape and then put marketing into into the game in that one and 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 talk about the segmentation and and what you're seeing there. Well, what's interesting about, you know, health is, you know, depending on who you think about as the stakeholder, but let's let's maybe start with consumers, right? Okay. I do think we've definitely seen a trend that since COVID, right, that was a moment where people realized I need to take responsibility for my own health individually and collectively. And there are active things that I can do um, to better improve my health outcomes. And also a, a discussion around what are the things, some of the things in my life, choices I'm making or potentially issues I have that are creating unnecessary risks, right? So think about the people that were more likely to become very sick from COVID or have severe outcomes. That was one of the first times as a society and as individuals, we started talking about individualized health risks, right? That could be more magnified. And I think that's created an opportunity to normalize, right? A number of conversations, perhaps one that's been super popular in the press lately has been the whole conversation around obesity, right? Yeah. Which is a massive health challenge, right? And it's, but it's, it's been classified by the American Medical Association as a disease since 2013, right? This is not new information. It's the most common chronic disease in the U.S., it's tied to genetics, environment, and behaviors, and it's the contributor to eight out of 10 of the leading causes of death. However, until recently, right, when you see these new therapeutics that are available and new ways in which consumers can access care, we're finally actually thinking differently as marketers about how do we normalize a conversation around something that people actually haven't wanted to talk about openly. And, and also- on the obesity thing, there's also been a, a whole bunch of socio discussion about you can't it, it you really can't call it out the wrong way or it's it's not that good. So it makes the marketer walk a really fine line in how to do this. Keep keep going on this and, and talk more about what should marketers be thinking about next as as they look at all this stuff. Yeah. So I, you know, I think the core of what's always made marketers great is still the same, right? It's the job of the marketer to really help think about who are the most important customers that we can address. And it's to find that powerful storytelling that makes those conversations come alive for that consumer. Um, whether it's directly in some of these more health categories where this is more of a private relationship, right? It's not as easy to build word of mouth in right. the health sphere. Um, because people see that as something that's more of a personalized relationship. But how do you think creatively about a broader societal movement that you could create if you're interested in some in an idea and creating more permission space for consumers to consider um, those types of services or those types of medications? You know, how do you think creatively about um, how you can use other you know, collaborators or other organizations to help tell that story um, so that you can actually create that momentum. And, and I think that especially in categories like health, that's really important. You know, I think in, you know, places like B2B software, 
you know, it's a very different mindset. You know, what I see there is you have these much longer sales cycles and much tighter focus on clear value delivered. And as I said earlier, that's where the ROI story has to really be good because for someone to get something through their CFO, they got to have a really tight narrative on like, where's the value delivered? Because basically the, the door is closed at this point. So how are you actually abating the need for additional hires? How are you actually making things more efficient? Even if you can make it more effective, the effective is not going to work as well as the efficient. Um, and it's also really about helping the focus on which are the customers that offer the biggest opportunity. So that classic customer segmentation. Hey, um, are there any companies out there in health or tech that you want to call out you think are doing a really good job of this? You can call out yeah. bad jobs too if you want, but my guess is you're only going to want to call out the good job. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I'm really involved with Roe. I think, you know, on the health tech side, I think they've done a really good job of focusing on health outcomes and they've been a real thought leader around this uh, conversation around obesity and being willing to put themselves out there and take on some of the hard conversations uh, that are being had and to really authentically with real facts and data, you know, promote a, a much more healthy in a sense conversation about this, this really, really challenging disease, because you see a lot of um, news reports and things like that, that talk about, you know, somebody who doesn't really need some of these therapies, right. That are running off to, to access them. But, you know, this is a huge chronic disease challenge. And we need to be careful that things that end up in social media do not distract us from the fact that the people that really get on these therapies like Wagovi, et cetera, are people that have spent five or even 10 years, right, on a whole bunch of different behavioral and other modifications. And now, right, for the first time, they're able to access a drug that truly has the opportunity to have transformational life impact, you know, at many levels. But how do we actually tell that story and enable those people to feel comfortable, right, to take that step um, into a whole new way of potentially, you know, gaining access to therapy? Well, I do think Roe has done a really good job, both uh, digitally and also in their uh, broader marketing of normalizing discussions about things that never were discussed. Uh, it, you know, it, obesity, ED, all, all kinds yeah, of it things. takes courage, right? And I think that's part of what, you know, you were a great marketer, Mike, and, you know, you had the courage uh, to have those hard conversations. And I think that's truly when they're honest, hard, and you do them with other stakeholders, you know, that enable the conversation to flourish. I think consumers really appreciate you for that. Thanks. We love having you on the show. Um, yeah, let's talk about, how has your CMO experience helped you as a board member and a CEO? Like, what what do you draw on most from your CMO time when you're sitting in the board seat at McDonald's or or the CEO chair? What what do you what's the the big things you took away? Yeah, I think um, one of the benefits of you know starting from the marketing seat is I think you by definition were one of the high velocity collaborating executives. Marketing really touches everything in an organization. And so you really develop a fundamental understanding and instinct of all the cross-functional areas and what it means to orchestrate those to come together. Um, I think second, doesn't matter what business you, you're in, your ability to instinctively understand 
the most important, meaningful customer problem you need to solve, right? I'm a biotech CEO now. The only thing that's going to matter about what I do is the ability to understand the untapped customer needs that I'm trying to fulfill and how my therapies can change the standard of care in a way that's meaningful. And that's a super complex industry where not only, even if you have a great drug and you get it all the way through the FDA approval, you still have to get docs to want to adopt it. So how do you really think about why this would be motivating for that doc to do it? How do you think about why the consumer, right, would be drawn to this alternative? Oh, and by the way, I have to think about what the landscape is going to look like five to 10 years from now to really be confident. So not only do I have to see the world today, but I have to be able to see the future just because of the time, right? And that's very different. But those capabilities and that comfort zone of being comfortable seeing the future, I think are a great hallmark of the training that you get as a CMO. Thanks. So a couple of other guests early in earlier shows said they they actually bemoaned that there weren't more marketers on boards. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I think that's a really good question. I think um, when you know, and I'm at the head of the NomGov committee that selects next board members, and you know, we always do a critical skills matrix of right. all the capabilities that we need on a board. I think that. Marketing is one of those critical skills in certain industries. So I do think in very consumer forward industries where your ability to develop a brand and a broader stakeholder community relationship is essential, that background, right, is a huge priority. At the same time, boardrooms are really about a broader set of issues around company governance. So when you think about the experiences that they're often looking for, you're thinking about relationships with the street, right? Filling an audit committee, understanding um, IT and information security and privacy. You think about a lot of the governance issues that boards are focused on. They're a little bit uh, separate, right? From just the marketing realm. And so I think the marketers that end up on boards are usually in very consumer forward industry or where you're trying to create a new category or open new markets for a product. Um, or, you know, where that marketer has crossed over and maybe had also some line business experience. So they've really been in the fire line of having to deliver the results, having to talk uh, potentially to investors and others. Thank you for that. Hey, uh, one of the things that, you know, as marketers, I, I hear a lot on, for people that talk, uh, you know, around the show and then just call me in between the shows one of the things you find as a marketer is a, a lot of it's one, it's still the shortest tenure job in the C-suite Two, a lot of times you run into CEOs and CFOs that they don't, they don't kind of get marketing people would say, but they also will say, gosh, Google and Facebook don't really do marketing. Why do we have to do anything? Why do we do marketing like they do it? Which is, you know, we just, we just do it this way. You've been at Google, you've watched Facebook, you've been in tech. Talk about this statement and then how marketers should manage it. Yeah, so I think that's um, kind of a misnomer, right? Um, Google and Facebook do invest a lot of money in branding. Um, But the truth is that they did both start out largely as product-led growth. And that was possible because they were category-shaping innovators, right? At the early uh, stages of the internet explosion, 
But as they've scaled, right, they've had to carefully navigate and cultivate their mega brand status with a whole bunch of really compelling touch points. And boy, it's a lot easier with their scale, reach, and frequency of use, right, for them to have a velocity of touch points, you know, with consumers to reinforce their brand that's really hard to match, right? So when you think about every time you go to that Google homepage, it's just about you in that box right. and what you're really interested in. And by the way, you go to that box, right, 20, 30 times a day. So that experience velocity, and think about it, free is a pretty powerful model. Ultimately, <laughs> you know, their like customers' that. time and engagement, it kind of is the product. So ensuring that they continuously innovate their product and drive relevance aligns to the interests of the paying customers. And boy, they spend a lot of time talking about those enhancements or the new ways to access those products. I do think, though, as brands, right, if you think about what's happening in our culture is as they become really large is how do they sustain and retain brand trust? You know, ensuring that that user feels like they have control and they're willing to provide that information and usage for a more personalized experience is essential, right, to the success of those companies. And so, you know, I do think that while you can look at them as, as an analogy, if you fundamentally understand the nature of those companies and how they work, they're not very good analogies for most. I agree. And let's get one other thing square. Marketers give those people millions and billions of dollars in marketing to use their platform. So the use of the product is also, as you pointed out, the marketing. Let's let's flip this over because we're 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 running towards the end of the show. But funniest story you can share on the air and or practical advice we haven't talked about. You can you can take both of those or one of them, but you have to. You have to take at least one. Mike, I don't know if I could be as funny as you are. So I'll, I'm going to give it a go. I was intimidated okay. by that question, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to try it. And I'll just, you know, I'll be self-effacing here because I think, you know, that's the honest zone that we all want to be in. But, you know, I, I'm a kind of a misfit missionary who's really been all about leveraging technology to reimagine products and services across a whole bunch of industries. And what's, while that's exciting to go from financial services to tech, right, to genealogy, now into biotech, right, the challenging part is you always have these steep learning curves yeah. when you come into those new industries. And Mike, you've worked in a bunch of industries too, so I'm sure you can relate to this. Learning curve and, is enormous. It looks but like I got to tell you, biotech yeah. is awesome. I love it. Like it's so purpose driven, and you know, you really are on a mission to change lives. But boy, the complexity of the science and drug development terminology is really, it's its like another level. And so I, I thought everyone in this call might be able to relate to, you know, being in a meeting where you're in a big team of expert leaders and they're having this huge debate on a topic. Um, and, you know, you're sitting in that meeting and you're watching the conversation ping pong around and go around and go around and go around and you're vigorously trying to take notes and like try to really like anchor into that conversation and early on in my tenure as a biotech CEO, I turned to the, after one of these meetings, I tapped one of these visionary scientists on the shoulder and I asked him, I said, well, I just felt like everyone was arguing in that meeting, but did we actually ever agree on anything, even though we closed it? And he just looked at me and he laughed and he said, look, Barga, the truth is that we, we just don't know. Like there's so much about the human body that we're still trying to discover that the only thing we can do is argue about it. 
because there is no definitive answer. So uh, on the one hand, I kind of laughed to myself. Or here I was like, you know, torturing myself that I couldn't follow all this. And on the other hand, you know, how funny it was that all these people did was argue and no one admitted in that entire room that they actually well, did. There were a lot of meetings where there was a definitive answer. We never got to it. So right. I think it's a totally fair question. But it just reminds me, like, all of us have moments where we are out of our comfort zone. And the most helpful thing I did was step out of my comfort zone and ask, like, did we actually come to a conclusion or not? And, you know, I think so often we have that imposter syndrome, like when we go into new situations and I've now had to overcome my anxiety and be open to like asking those hard questions. And I think if we all just continue to do that and be curious, it's amazing, you know, what a positive response you can get and how much you can learn. Excellent. Any practical, as last question, any practical advice we haven't talked about that you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, we touched on this a little bit before, you know, I've worked with a lot of CMOs, you know, in my career, um, whether it was at Google, as you mentioned, like we partnered with, you know, every CMO on the planet, including you and I, um, but also as a CEO. And I think that, you know, the best CEOs, uh, CMOs think of themselves as exceptional relationship builders and business builders. And I think, you know, if you think about um, being great at four things, like, how are you the confidant to the CEO? How do you bring them great customer stories? Because they're constantly in meetings with investors, with board members and other external stakeholders. And how do you help them tell your story? And how do you bring them insights that can really be pivotal in making those really tough strategic um, and business decisions? The second piece is how do you embrace and really align on metrics that matter to the CFO? Like everybody knows that's really important, but sometimes we don't invest enough time as marketers to really build that collaboration. The third relationship that really is everything is the CTO these days, right? How are you unlocking the power of the company's data to advance your company? And then how do you work with your CHR? Oh, to fill that marketing talent gap. And how do you make your team a talent mag magnet? And I think a lot of CMOs, have just so many great ideas and so many points of view. Are you sharing that out there? Are you making yourself a magnet for that next generation talent that can help you transform your business? And so that that's that relationship building and really thinking about that as your most important job, uh, for me, I think is really drive success for us. And that has, that has been very consistent with what we've heard from some other guests. So thank you, Margo, for being on our show. And thanks, everyone, for listening to CMO Confidential. Look for more of our shows on Evergreen, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube, which include a report from the front lines of artificial intelligence. What your agency wants to tell you but won't, parts one, two, three, and four. What I learned as New York City's first ever CMO under Michael Bloomberg and a CMO turned B-School professor offers her thoughts on brands taking a socio-political stand. Hey, all you marketers, be safe out there. This is Mike Linton signing off for CMO Confidential. Today's episode of CMO Confidential is brought to you by CMOcoaches.com. Are you a current or aspiring chief marketing officer looking to take your career to the next level? You should work with a CMO coach. CMO coaches are former CMOs who are nationally certified coaches. So whether you want to improve your leadership skills, develop your team, or drive better business results, 
we have the experience and expertise to help you succeed. To learn more, visit us at cmocoaches.com. Great careers are forged out of great relationships. Your success, whatever your field, relies and thrives on the support and insights of others. I'm Andy Lapata, an author and speaker on the power of professional relationships. In the Connected Leadership podcast, I have the privilege of interviewing people from around the world to understand the relationships that have made a difference on their journey and how their insights can help you. From Nobel Prize winners to Olympians, from NASA astronauts to peace campaigners, my guests have shared some captivating moments from their lives and careers. Combined with experts from leading universities, cutting-edge authors and giants of business, the Connected Leadership Podcast aims to inspire, educate and entertain. Are you tired of the same old productivity hacks? Have you read the top 20 books on effectiveness and yet your work days and email inbox still causing anxiety, burnout, and even depression? Ready to learn the latest in brain-based modalities, techniques, and technologies to optimize your success and well-being? Welcome to the Focus to Evolve podcast where we'll illuminate your path to spacious productivity and balanced thriving. Each week, we dive into deeply insightful and immediately impactful methods to help you become highly effective while promoting health, profitability, and well-being. Say goodbye to the trance of busyness and hello to your highest potential. It's time to discover a new way of accelerating your mission, growth, and purpose. Join us on the Focus to Evolve podcast and get ready to live your most joyful, productive, and fulfilling life.